Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? The show where I will uncover the stories of domestic abuse survivors. I'm your host, Maya Hooper. On today's episode, I'm joined here with my guest, Shai. Um, it's really wild how, like, through this experience, we were able to reconnect. Um, I've actually known Shai um, since elementary school. And so when you opened up about your experience, um, it was honestly just really surprising to hear and, and heartbreaking because um, from my memory, I always remember you uh, just being so filled with joy and having a smile on your face. And I think as the years have gone by, hearing that uh, that this is your experience, I mean, you never want to hear about anybody having experienced domestic abuse. Um, but when you grow up as children and, and I you know, have such a vivid uh, image of you just always being such a light to people, it makes me just feel incredibly like, like sad just to hear that. Um, unfortunately, this is your experience, but uh, I'm really grateful that like we were able to reconnect through this and also that you were just able to step forward and share your story because I know that uh, it's going to impact so many people. And yeah, I'm just super thankful uh, that you're willing to come forward. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. It's crazy that after all these years that even though it was, you know, a heartbreaking situation that we both have been in, but failed to like reconnect and kind of bond over this experience. So, um, and I really hope that my experience will maybe encourage others to come to light or just give, you know, let others know uh, about that domestic violence that can occur to anyone. Um, it started off like super small, um, like yelling at me, screaming, calling me names, getting angry, um, since I was in college, like he'd get angry about like when I couldn't hang out with him and go out with him when I, um, had homework to do, or I was busy doing other things. I was really involved on my college campus with like groups and organizations. Um, and then he would also kind of guilt trip me and say like, oh, I worked like a really long day and you can't even take like an hour out of your day to come see me. And, um, eventually he got up to like throwing things at me. Um, when I would like try to leave and, um, say like, I had to go home, you know, go back to my dorm because I got stuff I had to finish or I have homework. And, um, so just, and he would apologize and say he was sorry and then it would be fine. And then like a couple hours later, the next day would, the cycle would start all over again. Hmm. So how long uh, did it take for it to, to begin? Like, um, it probably started to begin. Um, I want to say like a little less than a year we were together. Cause I had, uh, my, I finished my freshman year of college. And at that time, like, I didn't want to move back home, but I couldn't afford to, live out on my own. So he suggested that we move in together. And so it was really after we moved in together when the physical stuff started to happen, but going back to like the verbal and the emotional, that was probably about like six months in five to six months in. 
Um, and like at the beginning, it was like really wonderful. We went on trips. We uh, would visit his family out of state. We went to like these elegant balls um, and like fundraiser type things for his work. Um, and even during like the verbal abuse um, and even the physical abuse, like it, you know, we would still do these like awesome things. And so, but it, you know, it started off like the fairy tale. Like all my friends were like, I want your guys' relationship. You guys are like the Barbie and Ken. Um, to really like wondering if this is how a relationship is supposed to be, because I really didn't know it was my first time on my own and my first, I guess, adult relationship. And I had just thought it was like me causing his anger issues or the physical abuse. Um because I was like, well, I'm doing this. And so it was a lot of questioning myself as well. Um, In the beginning, do you feel like it, it was too good to be true? I thought it was like, I know that my parents were like a little concerned because like, yes, I was 18, but like in their minds, I'm always going to be their, their, their baby girl. I'm the youngest in my family. And for him to be like 22, like it was a big thing for my parents, but they, kind of just wanted me to kind of figure it out and I just thought like you know like seeing my parents like oh my parents like argued or my parents would get upset with each other and my older sister you know same thing with her relationships like no one was like well everyone has their issues so I thought like you know maybe he just expressed it a little bit more than others and he didn't really like have anyone to really talk to since he wasn't originally from where I was going to school so I just thought that you know um I just thought this is how the relationship was supposed to be yeah um I think it's it's pretty crazy like when you said uh that people admired your relationship and I can really resonate with that because uh in my own experience I just remember uh you know friends saying at the time like you know you hit the jackpot like it was like it was like this he he just seemed like this perfect guy and I would have never thought that this perfect guy would would really ever hurt me and that's not practical Mm -hmm. looking back now I can see some of my um you know immaturity thinking that someone won't hurt me because everybody is imperfect right and Mm -hmm. relationships are going to get hurt but at the time I was like this guy will never hurt me he's so perfect and (laughs) he wasn't right he Mm -hmm. (laughs) here is this podcast about domestic abuse which is wild I would never have ever thought that this would be something in my story. Um, And so I'm sure for you as well, looking back on your relationship and and going back to the beginning, um, it's probably really even surprising now for yourself to, to realize like, okay, this guy, um, you know, was not perfect. And um, Barbie and Ken was very far um, from it, you know, but you don't in the beginning, you don't, you would never think that this could happen. Yes, definitely. And I think like also, you know, kind of with you, like I was so young that I was, 
I think I was craving the love because I had a lot of friends already that had relationships. I even had a couple of friends that were already like married. And so I was like, wow, that needs to be part of my life and part of my journey. And like, it'd be awesome to say one day, like, oh yeah, I met my husband in college. We're college sweethearts. And I think also like, I didn't know when stuff was happening, like to talk about it with like my friends, because my friends, like they talked about their relationship issues. And I've always just been the kind of person um, that always wants to help others. So I would help them with their problems and their relationship. But then when it came to talking about me, it was like, oh no, we're fine. Like, you know, we had an argument, but it's okay. When inside I was like, I don't think this is right. Or like, does this happen with you guys when he gets upset or when you guys have a fight? So I think I wanted to ask or seek out, but I didn't know how. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like, I still think to this day, like, cause working in mental health, I like mental health itself doesn't get talked about. And I really don't think like domestic violence, even to this day, still really gets talked about or even how to start talking about it. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I would agree completely. And I think um, in there's a, there's like a level of I think shame that comes with it I think a lot of people yes yeah shame or embarrassed um I know I did and you know do you do you feel also like just that you experienced that sort of like shame or you felt embarrassed that you have this story or that you went through this Yes, definitely. I think like it really didn't come out because mine, mine was so extreme that, you know, he initially ended up getting charged. Um, and um, it wasn't just like domestic violence. It was charged with um, attempted murder. And because of how severe the abuse was. And whenever I had to testify in court, like I that definitely like I was not not prepared for that and so to be questioned um about like why I didn't leave or why I didn't ask or what did I do wrong to make him upset like that in itself is traumatizing going through that when you're trying to get help and you're finally like okay this is like I'm out um I'm gonna like leave I'm gonna press charges and then it feels like your whole worth is being torn down and shattered in front of you because you, you yourself are being questioned about like, why didn't you leave? Or, you know, why didn't you call the police when this happened? And um, why didn't you tell anyone like, or what did you, I don't know how many times I, I got asked, what did you do to make him so angry? Mm. And so that in itself is like a terrifying and even still like, I still think I have PTSD from just testifying against him and having to deal with all of the aftermath that came with it and still dealing with it in a sense. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've, I've heard like a few, a few women um, say that same thing. And I, I think for them, it was almost worse, like having to go through the court and the, uh, the long drawn out process and 
really just like their abuse being minimized, right? Mm-hmm. And then being questioned. Uh, and they've experienced this very real uh, abuse and this very real trauma. And the question is, what did you do wrong? Yeah, it just was like, it, you know, it was just, and it was frustrating and angry because, you know, it was, you know, for, um, during the trial, like process, it was like, my friends were called up his friends and it just, it's amazing to me of how much lawyers can actually tear people down. And, um, honestly, how sad that the court system is lacking when it comes to handling domestic violence cases, because I, like I had a victim's advocate and my own lawyer, but I definitely was not prepared of how the trial was going to go. Like I took photo evidence, but I never filed police reports. And so like my photos were shown, like my most vulnerable side of me was shown and it was just pulling apart my whole life in front of me and having my, having to have my parents see that as well. Mm. Wow. It's, like it's heartbreaking I just Mm -hmm. I think uh I'm almost speechless I think because like I mean I've read through your story a little bit but this is the first time that we are having a conversation uh about Mm -hmm. it so it just makes me emotional because like like I can relate in senses but in some I can't and it makes me frustrated uh just that you went through this but also just that lack of I think justice and and you know being validated that what you went through it wasn't the question is not what did you do because it never justifies the behavior like that you're you know having to testify because somebody attempted murder like doesn't that doesn't there those two things don't don't aren't equivalent it's not well I did this and so therefore it justifies that he punched me in the face like or he did xyz like they're not the same thing and so I would love for you just to I think um taking a step back uh coming full circle hearing that you have you know this um ongoing is it an ongoing investigation or is he already is he in jail he got sentenced and he's um trying to um I know there's like a formal term but I can't think of it like get his sentence reduced and try to get out on probation and anytime that happens um you as I don't want to say victim because I am a victim but I'm also a survivor so you as a survivor um are notified anytime something happens with the case Hmm. and it's it's like reopening a wound that has not healed yet like it's just putting another band-aid because that band-aid is getting old and needs to be replaced yeah and um and so I've gotten a call from a lawyer saying this is what's going on um and when that happens like you have to uh give another victim's statement of why and like how this would impact you if this person was out. And um, my ex has never showed like any remorse for it. Um, I've never like 
seen such coldness, coldness from a person before during all of this. And so, um, it's just, it's still like ongoing. I don't know what will happen. Cause it's like ultimately climbing up to like the judge and, um, some other people of the courts to decide whether or not they feel like this individual is like, can be out on probation or if, um, they feel like they still need to serve out their sentence or if they can reduce it. And so it's just scary because, um, like if I, if he does get out, I'll be notified, but then it just, it's terrifying because I have to think about like, if he's going to try to come find me, if he's going to try to come find my family. Um, because like in his eyes, I just, you know, and this is kind of what that was said that I had destroyed his life because of this. And so it's, I think there's still a lot of anger that he holds. So it's, it's terrifying. And that's a lot of unknown. And that's another thing that's not prepared for of like, they have the right to appeal and they have the right to do this. And you have to constantly have everything reopened again. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I think what you said, Erm, it's like having a wound reopened is so, um, so true because it's, it's like you receive, I think, small bouts of little justice, but then, um, something new appears and there's like a new loophole or a new way for them to, you know, like you said, um, almost like, I think like for, I know one of the girls in Phoenix, like her, her ex, he got released on good behavior mm-hmm. and I think he had I uh, know he had like tried to kill her and so but he was released on good behavior and she's terrified you know and um so I can imagine and I can relate to having it feel like you know a wound is being reopened and having to almost like it kind of just like it attempts to pull you back in um and I think yeah I think many people listening who've experienced uh, domestic abuse can relate um I would love for you to share just uh when you realized that something was wrong and we'll go from there okay I think like I realized something was wrong when I had to start covering up my bruises and make excuses on my bruises of um you know of why there's handprints around my wrist and why I was wearing um, 90 degree, or I'm sorry, why I was wearing sweaters in 90 degree weather. Mm. Yeah. And so like, you know, excuses would just be, oh, I fell, I ran into this. Um, I rode my longboard around campus. And so I'd be like, oh, I fell off my longboard or my office is really cold. So I just, you know, I'll just wear a long sleeve shirt so that I'm not freezing at work all day. And my friends and family definitely noticed, but they didn't really say anything or even question it. They're like, oh, okay, well, just be careful. Maybe you should just stop writing your longboard. So just stuff like that. How did uh, the abuse manifest? Like what types of abuse did you experience? Um, definitely physical abuse, um, very much emotional abuse, um, verbal, like I would get shoved into walls and I'd get choked out. 
Um, I'd be kicked, screamed at, and then later he would come home with flowers and told he was sorry and that I had to give him back, like I had to forgive him. Um, and then guilt trip, like, well, if you just did what I asked or just went with me, like I wouldn't have gotten angry. Like you caused me to get so angry. Mm. And what would lead to the physical abuse? Um, because I think, I know, I know a lot of, um, a lot of the survivors in Phoenix have experienced mostly physical abuse. And I think sharing some examples about, um, what happened and, and how it manifested, um, it's really insightful, um, for all of us listening, because we can kind of, um, you know, understand, I think what truly you went through and in what you experienced and, uh, it helps others, I think, to identify with it. Yeah, definitely. It would, I think what led to it was started with the verbal, like the yelling and the screaming, like arguing with each other back and forth. Um, and lots of him personally was drinking. Um, he was an alcoholic. Um, I don't think to this day he will admit that, but he was. And so when the drinking would start, it was like a, a feeling in my body. Like I had to prepare myself because I knew that the hitting was going to start. Um, and it would be the, the shoving, um, punched in the face, punched in the stomach, um, you know, shoved up against the wall or, um, or I'd be like walk, trying to walk away and he would pull my hair. Sometimes it would be enough to like slam me down to the ground um, kick me, um, step on my hands and my feet so that I couldn't get up. Um, and so, and then, uh, one time he, uh, one time he broke his bottle and like was trying to get me with the glass to try to cut me with the the glass off the beer bottle. And, and then I would, you know, just sometimes like, this is it, I need to call 911, but for some reason, you know, I just, I didn't, cause I was still really young. I was, I think I was only like 19, almost 20 at this point. And so I was like, I don't know where I'm going to go. If I turn him in, or if I file a report, like, um, I'm going to be homeless, which looking back, that definitely would have not been the case. But mm-hmm. in that moment, that's all you can think about. Like what's, you know, what's going to happen if I leave. Mm. Yeah. I think it's, it's like what's gonna happen if I leave uh because you are so tied to this person and so I don't know emotionally dependent physically dependent um and there's just this uh, trauma bond right and Mm -hmm. so the thought of leaving is like terrifying it truly is (laughs) and it, it seems so easy from the outside looking in even I don't know how it is for you, but I know like after leaving, I'm like, gosh, like, like now I see so clearly. Um, but when you're in it, um, it's everything's so foggy and, um, it feels really impossible to leave. Like you feel like you're not even in control of yourself. Like you can't, Mm -hmm. you can't, you know? Yeah. It just was, it was like, 
it was scary because, you know, he, he made decent money and I was just working part-time on my college campus. And he, he just, he kind of controlled everything, but would also use that against, you know, like I pay for the rent, I pay for this, I pay for that. Like all you pay for is this occasionally, like, and so, and sometimes I'd have to give like extra money to him. And like, I just really didn't have a lot. And, um, luckily at the time I, my dad, um, he gave me like, I don't want to say like an allowance every month, but just helped me. And so I would just spend it right away. Like I'd go get gas and it was just to get gas in my car. It was to maybe buy a couple of things at groceries for myself. It wasn't even really anything fun to do with. It was just so that I could like literally survive. Um, and then I didn't tell him like my ex that I had a, a meal plan on campus that was paid for through schooling. And, um, and so I would eat that way because sometimes he just was like, no, we don't have any food or I don't want this, like what you made. And like, cause I did primarily all the cooking and if he didn't like it, he would just throw it or, um, he would get like really upset with me and then it would escalate to a fight. And, and so a lot of times I would eat on campus because that was like the only way I could eat. Cause he saw it as if he didn't want to eat it. I didn't, I couldn't eat it. <laughs> mm. So if he didn't want the dinner, then you wouldn't be able to eat it either. No, he would not like allow me to eat it. And like, looking back, like that should have really been my sign to like, you need to leave, like you need to, go to your friend's house like this is what's going on but inside I was like I should have done better I should have made him a better meal like and it's not like I just stayed home all day I was in school full-time and I was working part-time and I was in that all these activities and then I was like well maybe I should cut down my my activities and that's when the the isolation period start because I would stop going to my meetings for these groups that was I was in and um I would stop going to class because I was like, no, it's more important for him to come home to clean house um, than, um, you know, me like getting a college education. So um, I would stay and skip, skip school, skip these classes that I was paying for. Yeah. And I think that's something like really noteworthy because I know that I experienced that similarly as well. Like I, um, before I had met my ex, I was very like goal oriented and I had a lot of dreams and those all kind of got put on hold and shut down. And, you know, he wanted me to be a stay at home, a stay at home mom and wife. And, and my whole life revolved around him. And yes, yes. And you become really dependent on them. And also, I think you're on, you're like under so much stress because of all the fighting that, um, you don't even want to spend time with people because one, you don't want to have to explain yourself Two, you don't have the mental capacity or energy to hang out around people because like your, your mind is like pretty much constantly distracted. I think with like what you're going through in your relationship I mean it becomes all-consuming yeah it does and like especially because he was like 
the type that if I was out with friends or even if I was at work, like it was constantly texting, calling, like, where are you at? Who are you with? And so it was just like, you know, like you said, you didn't, it was just got to the point where you didn't want to hang out with friends because it was more draining of having to explain yourself. Like I'm with friends or I'm at work and, um, and then it would lead to sometimes, you know, it leads to fighting of like, no, you're not. And, um, I don't believe you or like, are you actually at work? And, um, and so I just got to the point where it was like, what's the point of hanging out with friends when I know that there's going to be a fight when I get home? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, you just begin to isolate because it's easier to isolate than it is to be around people. Um, and I think your, your, you know, your community knows you best, your friends and family. And so sooner or later they start to realize something's wrong. Yeah. And I think, I think for some friends and family, like on the outside, like, I don't know if they're too scared to ask or they don't, they, or some people just don't want to be part of each other's business or part of their problems. So I think they just like kind of like oh well you know if there's something going on they'll tell me like I know her she'll tell me if something's going on or she'll tell me if something's not right when in like my mind it was like I just want you to ask like how I'm doing because right now I'm trapped and I don't know what to do yeah and then and then oh sorry no no sorry go ahead and then eventually did start leading to my friends and my family like questioning me because like growing up I was like I loved school growing up like I loved it I loved being in activities um even in high school I was like part of so many activities part of so many sports um I graduated like top of my class and um I always had this like dream like you like dreams and goals and I was the type of person that I never let anything stop me like if I had this dream or I had a goal like I was going to do whatever I had to do to get to it And so my family started like questioning me, like, you know, what's going on? Cause then not only like you start to isolate, but like for me, like my parents, my parents started to go down. Like I didn't really care about like what I looked like. Um, I would just show up to things when you, you didn't necessarily need to be dressed up, but like, you know, cleaned up and I would just come in sweats or, um, I just didn't really care. And so my friends were like, what's, you know, what's going on with you? And I was just like, oh, I'm just so tired. Like school's been so stressful. Like, again, with these excuses, like, I feel like the excuses don't ever stop in a domestic violence relationship. And then I think it, re- it started to hit me, like, going now into probably junior junior year, I think that I was getting pulled into my college advisor office, being told that I was about to get kicked out of college because my grades had dropped and I had lost a scholarship because of my grades. Um, and when I went home to tell him, I had thought like, okay, maybe he's going to be like, no, you know, I'm so sorry. I know it's been rough. Like, let's get through school together. Like, let me help you. And he instead like encouraged me to drop out and said, no, you can just be a stay at home mom. Eventually you can just be a a wife for me. Like, I'll take care of you. Like, I don't want you to go to school. I don't want you to get educated. Um, Like why waste your money kind of thing? Like, and so it just was, you know, that was like, why, why would you encourage me that? Like, 
why instead of like encouraging my dreams and my goals, you're wanting to be selfish and want me to just take care of you. Yeah. 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 And I think, um, being independent is, is incredibly important. And, um, I think, yeah, for, for those listening, I think if you're in a relationship where somebody is not encouraging your vision and your dreams and is trying to like, I think, um, sort of control, um, you control like your finances, control uh, your activities, the amount of time you spend with friends. If he's trying to control, you know, your dreams and your goals or where you work or telling you to quit a job, like those are, those are obviously like clear red flags. And some people listening are like, well, duh, like (laughs) that's a red flag, but it actually like it, you don't realize it. People, aren't listening to this or who have never heard this stuff before like I I didn't know that and so I just thought you know because there's a relationship there it's not just some random stranger walking up to you and being like hey quit your job you know on the first date like that would be weird of course it'd be a red flag yeah. but this is a relationship that you've built with somebody over time and there's a trust built a level of trust a level of of um you know a, a bond and a tie to somebody there's that chemistry and the um, toxic, like, you know, I don't know, toxic chemistry or something. I don't even know what that is called, but you're gone. And so it's intense and it's, it's like, there's so much more to it. So when it's somebody who you um, trust and you're being controlled and manipulated by, um, you know, quitting your job or quitting school, like, okay, well they, you know, they're going to, you know, they say I should do it. So maybe I should, that's, you know, that's the thought process when you're in it. Yeah. And I, I remember I told my, my, cause I was really close to my dad. I remember telling him like, I'm just really getting burnt out with school. I think I'm just going to take like a semester or a year off. And um, my dad knew that something was up because he was like, no, like you would know what's going on. You were ne- you would never do this. You would never say this. Like, um, and I just kept trying to convince him like, no, I'm just burnt out. Like people do it all the time. My, I've had a couple friends that take a semester off and, and he's like, no, if you take a semester off, you're never going to return, which that would have definitely been the case. And, and then it started to change when I had learned that I was actually pregnant. And I had thought that, you know, finally, this is going to be the light at the end of the tunnel, because I'm going to be bringing his child into this world. Mm. And there's going to be change when that was still the exact opposite and I think this is like even to the day the most painful part of having to share and it's kind of like a trigger warning to others is during the last big argument that led to pretty much me clinging from my life um I had been beaten so badly that I I knew I was miscarrying and I could do absolutely nothing in that moment and I was begging him to stop so that we could go to the hospital. Um, and I had never felt like so helpless in my entire life. Yeah. And I, it was like at that moment that I, I needed to get out. And, um, 
it's I was was one of our neighbors that called 911 and I will be forever grateful to that neighbor for calling 911 um and the officers um tearing because I was like in and out of consciousness at this point like tearing down the door um and just telling me to hang on just to get to the hospital they just needed me to get to the hospital um and they honestly did not know if I was going to make it through the night oh my gosh so it was like just kind of like that resolution part of leaving Mm. um when I was in the hospital with officers guarding my room and my dad drove down about four hours from where I was living for my college to help me move out and help me help me start over and then start this process of testifying because he was immediately arrested and um, charged with attempted murder mm-hmm. um, and then um, charged with it wasn't child abuse but it was something similar because it was like abuse of a fetus um, but in, um, it's not a lot to ha- be charged with harming a fetus because they don't see it as um, um, that fetus actually being a child really mm-hmm. so that charge ended up getting dropped you're kidding that no. is literally the most insane thing I've ever heard yeah it's it was crazy to me it was infuriating to me because to me it's not as like the courts like the justice system doesn't see that this to me this was a child and they don't see it as that they just see it as something that wasn't born yet and so it that charge had to be dropped I'm honestly just like speechless I feel like nauseous I just like yeah it just it's honestly heartbreaking it is go ahead so it just um and like I said earlier about the courts like it doesn't end when you leave it's as you know you've experienced like even after you leave, like, there's still so much that you have to do. Yeah. I think it's, it truly is like such a, a triggering thing. Um, I think hearing your story just, uh, and hearing the end, uh, I'm eternally like, grateful that that neighbor called for you because like you may not have been here anymore and this is this is like this is like one I just want to say like that I'm really thankful that you are here and that you are sharing this story Uh, I know it's like not easy and that is like you said the most painful point of your story and most one of the most painful points of your life having miscarried your child and I I have no words like I I can't I can't imagine I I truly can't imagine and you know that's why my heart is for um, domestic abuse survivors and the victims who are still in these relationships because you know not everybody may have experienced what you have 
ultimately the the climax of your story but a lot of a lot of victims if they don't leave like the climax this is this is the this is what happens and like Mm -hmm. it's only a matter of time they're ticking time bombs and that's why like I created this platform in this space is because like you have been through something that nobody should have to go through and you've experienced something that is like horrific absolutely Mm -hmm. horrific and the fact that like you're here sharing your story it means so much to me because it's like truly like the epitome of like what was her name your your name is shy and this is your story and this is your experience and you know the areas of you know the lack of justice that you've experienced in certain areas of of the aftermath like I just want you know you to know like you coming on here and sharing your story I know is going to impact people and it's not in vain and and I'm really believing and expectant that through these stories each each um episode um you know if even if it's just one person who leaves another abusive relationship or it's one listener who recognizes something in you know a future boyfriend and they realize that that's a red flag and it can um save them from having to experience this like it's it's like why i think it's so important to be vulnerable and share um, our stories. And I hate that you had to go through that and that this is a part of your story, but the fact that you're willing to share it, um, it's brave, it's courageous, and it's powerful. Your testimony is like truly just so powerful. Thank you. Um, what is your vision and your dreams now? And and where are you at now? I know you said that you have been going through court um, and having to deal with the aftermath. Um, but I'm curious, like, you know, there's more to you, right? Than, than that mm-hmm. abuse, one piece of, of your life and a big, big, large piece. Um, but like, I want to know, and I know that the listeners want to know, like, who is shy and what are your dreams? Um, I ended up, I I graduated from college. Um, I think one thing that I'll never forget is by the time I graduated, I had, um, I had, um, I graduated and I was starting the test assigned part. And I remember I showed up in court with my college degree. And I just remember testifying saying, you never stopped me from achieving my goal. And I brought my college degree with my bachelor's in social work to the stand. Uh, I then graduated with my master's in forensic psychology. Um, I'm working on my second master's in clinical mental health counseling. Um, and I'm now, I work as a, a social worker now. And I had always thought about going into working in a domestic violence shelter or being a core advocate. But I think for me at this time, I think that's going to be a dream eventually. But I think for me at this time, it's still too hard because I'm still going through my own uh, things, especially since I'm going through this stuff with court again, that I, I feel like I still have to heal before I can do that part. But I think working as a social worker in a mental health setting 
Um, I think that it just was like for him, I just felt like on top of the world at that moment. Like, despite all this, despite the problems I've had, um, phys- like not only mental problems, but physical problems, I completely lost my hearing in my right ear because of the trauma. Um, I had several broken bones. Um, I can't, I will probably never be able to carry a child um, like from myself biologically. But despite all that, I was still able to complete my dream of being the first one in my family to go to college and graduate and now working on my my second master's degree and being in a field where I help others. Mm. It's just powerful. It's just like, just to hear you uh, like having had who just the, the experience that you had and to like be in a place where, like you said, like you just got on top of the world in that moment to be able to say like, you did not destroy me. Like you attempted, you tried, but like you did not stop me. And, and I think you are an inspiration to so many people listening, including myself, because Thank you. yeah, because it's like, that's huge. And, you know, you have two options when you leave, you can either, uh, do nothing. And, and, you know, it's hard, it's hard to, it's hard to move on with your life after having been abused. And it's really easy to get stuck in this place of like this bitterness and resentment. And then it kind of almost causing you to not want to move forward or having a difficult time, like achieving your dreams and goals, because, it's hard to heal and it's hard to move past all of the trauma, but there comes a point where you have to make the decision. Like, am I going to be a victim? Right. Like you had said earlier, I I don't like using that word victim. Like, are you going to be a victim forever? Or like, are you going to be a survivor? Mm -hmm. And like you, my friend are a, a survivor and yeah, I'm just super honored that like you shared your story and I'm super honored that like I just get to even be a witness to like your life and just to hear your story and to hear where you're at now and like if there's anybody who can say like I am on the other side of it it's you because that this is truly like what you just said that is the other side and I don't even think I'm there yet to the point where you are um and it's so it's you know in humility to be honest it's really inspiring for me hearing your story and hearing like where you're at and how you've achieved your goals and, and truly like not let that define you. Um, and you are able to not only just like achieve your goals, but like you're doing something to help others. And, you know, eventually in the field that you have the most experience in, which is domestic, domestic violence. And you're going to be able to relate to women in a way that nobody is going to be able to relate mm-hmm. to them. And when you're ready and when it's sorry, when it's time, um, God is going to use your story and your testimony and, and you're going to be able to connect and resonate with people in a really, really deep and meaningful way. Yeah. And it's just, it's honestly inspiring to be on here and just kind of talk to someone that I know that I've, in a sense, like you said, grown up with um with being able to part ways but 
being able to see our both our lives on social media um, and coming together for such a tragic part of our story, but also being able to grow and learn from that part in our story of it, not making us weaker, but making us stronger in the end for it. Mm. It's so good. Yeah. Um, to finish, you know, to finish this off, like, uh, what is one thing that you would say to those listening as a tip? That it does get better. Um, and when you're out on the other side, like you're still going to have your really hard days. Um, I'm still learning about my PTSD, my trauma triggers, um, and that you'll, you know, whether you find yourself or you find someone that you can love, um, I've been really grateful in finding um, this amazing man now that um, it's night and day from the, the this other relationship and him being so patient with me and uh wanting to understand me and helping me when I have my trauma triggers and um being supportive of me going through all this again um you know there is like there is that person out there waiting whether that person is yourself waiting for you or Mm -hmm. that person that um is your love and your soulmate and that actually shows you what a healthy and loving relationship is like Mm. yeah I love that what you just said whether it's somebody or it's yourself waiting for you that is gold and something that I'm like gonna treasure (laughs) because it's true truly just it's beautiful because I think as a survivor you always hope Um, that you're going to find somebody, right, who loves you properly, Mm -hmm. but also, like, recognizing, I think, and I think all of us have to get to a point where we recognize, and, you know, even people who haven't been abused, like, you know, loving yourself and being there for yourself is, that's the start, right, and sometimes Mm -hmm. it's about, like, love, Um, sometimes that's not the need that needs to be met we think that that's what's going to meet our needs but sometimes it's it's us it's ourselves it's so much something within us and so much deeper and so um I love that you said that and yeah I think it's just been such a special time with you um on this episode and so I just want to say thank you truly um I know that this is going to impact so many people and it has impacted me in such a, such a big way. Um, so thank you for coming on here and sharing this. Thank you so much for having me. It's been, uh, it's been an honor to be on here and share my story. Of course. Of course. All right. Well, um, you guys next week, um, Thursday, uh, tune in for the um, next episode. It's going to be Uh, my friend Cindy, and she is going to come on and share her story with uh, domestic abuse. And we will see you then. Thanks, everyone.